This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today, if you see all of us dressed up special, of course, it's the Feast of All Saints. It's one of the church's great feasts of the year. And more than that, it's one of four days that traditionally the church welcomes new members in holy baptism. They're brought into the household of God, a very special day. But speaking of all saints, we might ask ourselves, what actually are we celebrating? Actually, for example, who, who exactly are the saints, and what does this mean to me in my regular Christian walk? So let's start with who are the saints. To be honest, most of us, when we hear the term saint, think of dead people, right? We're thinking these are great Christians of ages past. You know, apostles, martyrs, people who did great things, and you name churches after and the like. We think of them, and that's true. But if we look in the New Testament, which is the norm of our faith, how do we find that word used? The word saint is used over 60 times in the New Testament. Well, actually, it's used in the New Testament to describe people who are very much alive, who are ordinary followers of Jesus Christ, and people basically just like you and me. That's how the term is used. It's the preferred term in the New Testament to describe believers. They're saints. And what we find is, like, see, in Paul's epistle to the Romans, for example, he uses the term eight times. He starts out saying to all those in Rome who are loved of God uh, and called to be saints. We're told, uh, he says, uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He talks about, urges us as Christians, he said, remember, contribute to the needs of the saints. He talks about the collection at Jerusalem, talks about bringing aid to the saints. Uh, and finally, he closes to all the saints who are with them. And also, this is the typical, we all know this, the typical introduction to a Pauline epistle. 1 Corinthians, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. In 2 Corinthians, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, to the saints at Ephesus, to all the saints in Jesus Christ at Philippi, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So basically, if Paul were writing a letter to us today, he'd probably say, to the saints who are in Wheaton in the state of Illinois, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So how in the world, since that's the use in the New Testament, do we come to associate saints with dead people, people in the past? Well, because it's a profound mystery in our creed where we say we believe in the communion of saints. When, this, when the New Testament is written, these people are all alive, but when they came and joined the Lord, they didn't cease to be alive. They didn't cease to be part of the body of Christ. So that's how we got the broader meaning. It's not just saints are us. Saints are everyone who has followed Jesus. Uh, we have a difference between the church militant. What that means is milis is the Latin word for soldier. So that means those of us are still in the fight here on earth, still in the good fight, and the church triumphant, those who are now enjoying the face of God. So we see those two, and what the way to look at the communion of saints, it's like a train coming out of one of those long tunnels, like near Pittsburgh, they have all these tunnels you go through. And, the en and imagine a train where the engine and some of the cars have come out, but the rest of the cars are still in this tunnel. The engine, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead. You know, he the one, and not only is the first out, but he's the one who's pulling everyone with him. All the energy, the source of this all comes from him. Those that are already in the light, in the warmth, out of the tunnel, are the church triumphant, those who are already with the Lord. 
And the ones still in the tunnel, the ones who are heading towards the light, you know, heading towards the warmth, is the church militant, us, those of us are still in the combat. You know, as Christians, we all too often forget that we too have been called to be saints. We sort of kick the saints upstairs. You know, it's easy to use the saints as an excuse, we'll admire you rather than imitate you. But that's all of our call. Every Christian is called to be a saint. So what does it mean to be a saint? We said only, who are the saints? But come on, what's that word saint? It's one of those churchy terms. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about the word holy in the Bible. Okay, what does holy mean? The word holy means the characteristic that is unique to God, that it's unique to Him. What's unique? What's God, Godness? What is that? That's called holiness. What's unique to God? Remember in Isaiah, we see this wonderful vision of God. You know, Isaiah looks in the heavens and sees the vision of God. In the book of Revelation, we have the same heavenly court opened up. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. It means you're speechless. In front of God, there's no word to describe Him. The best you can say is, you're just so God, 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 holy, holy, holy. That's what holy means. And we might look at God as, as His unique characteristic is God is like the fire. He's the source of warmth and light. You know, He alone is the fire, bringing all the warmth in the light. That's God. But also, the term holy in the Scriptures is applied to other things besides God, two different things. It applies to things that belong to God, that He claims for His own, or things that become very draw close to God. So things that actually belong to Him, has ownership on them, or things that have approached God are called holy. Uh, for example, we are described, Israel is described, and we too are described as a holy nation. We belong to God. That's what it means. The high priest on his turban had a little plaque that said, holy to the Lord, meaning this belongs to God. Okay? And also we have when Moses approaches the fire, remember on, on the mountain, the, the burning bush. God says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. You're getting really close. So if God is the fire that casts out warmth and light, what happens? Anything that gets near to that fire takes on that warmth and light. You know, it's like the moon reflects the glory of the sun. You know, I, when I was a boy, I, and I loved ice skating. You know, we had very, very long winters, and I loved ice skating. And I love when you get really, really cold and you couldn't take it because your toes were just frozen. You go and there's this roaring fire in this huge fireplace. So what do you do? You get near it and suddenly, you know, you, you get warm. You see all the light and all the, you, you bring. Well, that's what it is. Holiness, we, as we approach the fire that is God, suddenly we take on His warmth and His light. That's why Moses, when he's seen God, his face shines. He's been near God. So you might say, wait a second, I, I missed this. We were talking about saints, and now you're talking about holy. What's going on here? Well, actually, saint and holy are the same word. English is an incredibly rich language. It has the largest vocabulary of any of the major languages. Why? Because with the Norman conquest, we kept all our good English terms, but we also took the French terms from the Norman and added them. So we have almost two terms for everything, fear and trepidation, right? That kind of every, we have two terms for everything. And so the French word for holy, you know, our word, the English word, highly like German, holy, it's a Germanic language, is, is saint because French it's saint, and if you pronounce that like it's written, it would be saint. And sanctify means to make holy. It's just another way to say holy. To say saint saying, we're the holy ones. We're the ones that God has made holy by making us his own. Okay, 
So we've been called to, uh, called to be saints. Now, why are we holy? Three things. First of all, because we're the fireplace. Why do I say that? In baptism, we'll have baptisms today. And in baptism, we receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's our, our knowledge, our, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the fire of God Himself. That's in us. So we're holy like the temple is holy. We actually in us have the fire of the living presence of God. Next, we're God's own possession. You know, at baptism, is right after the baptism, people are anointed. And remember the anointing says, you know, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. You see, sealing in the ancient world was a sign of ownership. You put seals on things to show like an ownership tag. When we're baptized, God says, as he said to Jesus at his baptism, this is my daughter, the one I love. This is my son, the one I love. They're mine. So we also are holy because not only do we have God within us, but he's called us to be his. And third, because we're so, because of the fire, we're actually, our whole life becomes an ongoing transformation. As I would sit by that fire after ice skating, is your pants would get so warm, they get too hot, like almost burn. You know, the, as you close your, they get hotter and harder the longer you stay. So we're told, Paul says, we're being transformed from glory to glory as we, as we approach him. So today, how do we live out our call to holiness? Since everyone here in our baptism has received the call, we've been made holy. How do we live out the full, how do we keep that fire burning bright? And the church has always used a single gospel for the Feast of All Saints, and that's the Beatitudes. Now, first of all, what the Beatitudes uh, are saying, we'll talk about them, is remember, blessed are, I don't like the blessed is a churchy word. It's not a word we use in regular English, is it? So what does it mean? Makarios in Greek means happy, but happy in a special sense. Like we have a program, we talk about a happy ending. It doesn't mean you're laughing, it just means things work out the way they should. Things turn out right. And so makarios, you're saying happy are, say, if you want your life to turn out exactly, perfectly as God has it, these are what will happen. Here's what will truly square peg in a square hole. This is, you're going exactly with your, you're in the zone. These are the things that will do that. This is our call to holiness. So what does that look like? Let's look at each of the Beatitudes uh, briefly. First of all, we have blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, by the way, before we go into these, these are not things we work towards. They're the work of God in us. The real thing is we can ask for God's, we have to want them. You see, the reason we don't receive them is we don't ask or want them. So we have to see why are these good things. When you first look at the Beatitudes, it sounds like a gift you wouldn't like. You know, it's like when you have young kids and people give you things that make noise. And you say, what did we do to you? You know, at Christmas, they get some noisy toy. You know, Beatitudes don't look like something anybody would want. So why would we want them? So here's the first. We say, why would we want to be poor in spirit? And here's why. Imagine, you, you, you know, the, the bigger our container, the emptier our container, the more we can receive, you know, like when you're filling with it. The fact is our emptiness gives more place for God. When we realize that we need God, suddenly we don't get in the way. He can fill our life. It's amazing. So instead of saying, oh, I have all this burden, you know, I, I have to feed 5,000 people. The Lord said so. No, no. The Lord said, just give the five loaves you have. He'll make up the rest. You know, it's good to be poor. You're going to see God do his thing. We look upon our needs as something that allow us to let God work in our life powerfully. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Basically, bless those who are, 
uh, you know, who are not ashamed to need God. That's why God says to Paul, you know, I'm, my strength is made manifest in weakness. The weaker you are, the more people will see that this is God. The second, blessed are those who mourn. Now, how can that be good news? Because suffering can do one of two things. Suffering can cause us to draw into ourselves, but suffering also amazingly can bring us together close to others who are experiencing suffering, and also close to God, because Paul tells us that, remember, we're the body of Christ, meaning that our sufferings are Christ's sufferings. We never suffer alone. If we're aware that Christ is with us, our sufferings have meaning. They draw us closer to God if they're given to God. They draw us closer to others who suffer. Paul said, you know, it's the comfort you get when you suffer that allows you to comfort others. So we say, yes, comforting allow you, my mourning allows me to get close. Ask people in a marriage. You know, in a marriage, often it's the hard times you have to go through, like, like let's say a sickness of a child, these kind of real tragedies, is often when you draw closer together than you ever would have been. Blessed are those who mourn. What comes afterward, it's like, remember, on a boat, the patch is stronger than the original material. Okay. Next, blessed are the meek. Now, meek is a word that's used in the Bible to describe two people, Moses and the Lord Jesus. Now, why does he think in John's gospel? He's always saying, I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm here to glorify the Father. It's all about God. And the meek simply means we realize the liberty. My father used to say, son, you know, let God be God. We're not the center of the universe. We can let God be God and take joy in the person God made us to be. That's what meekness is, L looking at seeing the world with God's eyes, you know, seeing it, you know, that we're, we're not the center. We're simply one of, the, one of this beautiful, perfect creation He's made. What's our next beatitude? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why hunger and thirst? Most of us say, you're the, even though how busy you are, look, I've got to stop, I've got to eat. It's so basic. You know, everyone understands, no matter how busy, you've got to eat. What did Jesus say? His disciples once said, hey, he hasn't had anything to eat. He needs food. He responds to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It means really basically making God's agenda our agenda. What really energizes us is being on mission for God. Instead of looking upon it another burden and a burdened life, we say, this is my mission. This is what really, like an introvert who's actually energized by being alone, an extrovert who's energized, this is what energizes me. I have God's agenda. That's what being hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. What's the point here with mercy? Let's look at Jesus being merciful. Remember the woman who's caught in adultery? He tells her to sin no more. He knew she'd done something wrong. She's no innocent victim. However, he says, I don't condemn you. The word condemn is a technical word. When a building is condemned, it means you can't repair it. It's beyond hope. We just walk away from it, tear it down, hope to do something else. He said, I don't walk away. You see, the eyes of hope always look forward. It looks to what's there instead of what's not there. And so mercy is all about simply, I'm not writing off anyone. No matter where you are, we're looking forward. I, I see what can be in God, not what's happened. Those, that's what mercy is about. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart means single-minded. That's what, what the term means, single-minded. It means we know what we want. And what do we want? We want the right thing. Here's what it is. We're told by Paul that the beautiful thing about being adopted by God is we become heirs, heirs of God. Now, think of what that means. We've talked about this. 
Normally, heirs means you get people's good stuff when they die. So who wants to be God's heir? He's not going anywhere. So what does the term heirs of God mean? It means God himself is what we inherit. We don't want his stuff. We want him. God is what we want. So the, the, what we're saying here is that the pure of heart means we know that the end is always comes down to what I'm after in my life is I want God. I'll take nothing less and I want nothing more. I want God. The pure of heart. It says they'll see God, which is the beatific vision, the vision that, as the theologians say, that makes us happy. Okay, what about the peacemakers that were agents of reconciliation? Like God, we're always agents. We're always peacemakers. We're always the ones who bring peace rather than division. We're the ones who are healing the so together, who bind. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You know, so often we look upon, you know, our persecution, people not understanding us as a roadblock on our walk. The, the way of the cross, the cross isn't a roadblock. The cross is the road. So when we embrace that saying, I'm on. Persecution means I'm on for God. This is, this is the way of the cross, and I'm glad to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. So the Feast of All Saints then reminds us of our communion of the saints, not just who's gone before, the fact that those of us who are in the good fight today, and each of us has received the fire of, of, of holiness in our baptism. Now, what do we do if you say, gee, I think that fire in me has gone a little, I think we're talking more of smoldering. You know, I don't see much flame anymore. I don't see the light. I don't see the warmth. What can I do about it? Well, take it from a skater. What do you do when you're cold? Get closer to the fire. It's always about being closer to God. Anything that brings us closer to God will do this. Get closer to the fire, and you're going to get warmer, and you're going to see more light. So how do I do that? Three things. The first is prayer. You know, in the, in the Roman church, they have the saint who's the, considered the ideal of what a parish priest should look like. He's Jean Vianney. And he famously once was asked, you know, about sainthood. He said, oh, it's easy. He said, you know, prayer is what makes saints saints. The more connected we are with God, holiness follows. If we're near the fire, we get warm. So the more we are men and women of prayer, we're going to see ourselves with that fire of holiness. Second is the Word of God. That talk about a direct encounter with God, His Word written. Like Paul says to, to Timothy, if we have the Word of God, we have everything we need to be complete, equipped for every good work. And finally, we're invited participating in God's body, you know, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. You know, when we say the gifts of God for the people of God, that's a poor translation of a great Greek original. The Greek basically says, it says, holy things for holy people, basically saying saint food for saints. <laughs> if this is, you want to be a saint, this is how you do it. This is how you approach God. So to conclude, to the whole church of God that is in Wheaton, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.